This sermon was preached at University Park Baptist Church in Houston, Texas. For more information about UPBC, visit upbchouston.org. If you would, turn in your Bibles to Psalm 110. Psalm 110. Thanks to Josh and Anna for leading us this morning in worship. Certainly appreciate your service to our congregation. We'll be looking this morning at Psalm 110. Hear God's word to you this morning. Psalm 110, a psalm of David. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments From the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. He will drink from the brook by the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word. During the American Revolution, King George III of England and his loyalists and troops intercepted correspondence from American revolutionaries. And in that correspondence, they read... We have no king but King Jesus. We have no king but King Jesus. Some 200 years later, in 1974, a fan at an Elvis concert held up a sign yelling loudly what was written on that sign. The sign read, the person yelled, Elvis is king. And to his credit, Elvis responded like those American revolutionaries. He looked at that woman in the crowd and he yelled back, no, Jesus Christ is king. Well, this morning, we're going to consider Psalm 110. And our aim this morning in considering this particular psalm is to see and to believe and to proclaim like the American revolutionaries and even like Elvis on that day, that Jesus Christ is. Is the king. Psalm 110 is a coronation psalm. It's a royal psalm, a psalm that the people of old would sing as their new king would be crowned king over Israel. It's this royal psalm that is to crown the Davidic king. But this psalm transcends any earthly coronation. It is not simply a coronation psalm for King David or one of his. Sons, this is a coronation psalm for a heavenly king, a king that at the time of the writing of the psalm was yet to come. So this psalm, it looks forward to that day when that heavenly king will reign from the throne of David. And the good news that we've even heard this morning and that is proclaimed to us in the Bible is that this heavenly king has come. And that's why we're gathered today. 
We gather together to worship a king, to proclaim that Jesus Christ is king, to worship King Jesus as we sing songs unto him and pray unto him and hear from his holy word. And it's my prayer this morning that we would all be able, that we would walk out of this room able to confess that there really is no king but King Jesus. So we're going to look at Psalm 110 this morning in three sections. If you're taking notes, this will be the outline of the sermon. Psalm 110 in three sections. Verse 1, the king at God's right hand. Verse 1, the king at God's right hand. Verses 2, 3, and 4, the king rules God's people. The king rules God's people. Verses 5 and 6, the king conquers God's enemies. The king at God's right hand, verse 1, the king rules God's people, verses 2 through 4, the king conquers God's enemies, verses 5 and 6. Let's pause now and pray and ask God to be with us as we consider his word. Let's pray. Oh God of glory, we come now to hear your word. We pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts, that we might behold wonderful things in your word. Lord God, sanctify us in the truth. Your word is truth. So speak now, O Lord. Your people are listening. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. Psalm 110, verse 1. The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Well, verse one teaches us about God and about his Christ or his king. Psalm 110 is a rather hard psalm to understand because it has three main actors in the psalm. You have King David who wrote the psalm. You see it there in the the subscription of Psalm 110, a psalm of David. He's the Israelite king. He wrote this psalm. He does some speaking in this psalm. Then you have the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Some of your translations will translate Lord uh, with all caps or maybe a capital L with small cap O-R-D. But it's meant to be distinguished in your Bible as the Hebrew name for God, Yahweh. And so in this way, the translators try to distinguish it from the third actor. So we have King David, we have the Lord Yahweh, and then we have the third actor in the psalm, who's also the Lord. But here it's translated capital L, lowercase o-r-d. And so English translators, they translate the second Lord, which is Adonai, in this way to distinguish it from the first Lord, Yahweh. So anytime that you see in your Bible the capitalized L-O-R-D, that's a reference to God's name, Yahweh. And the standard Lord that you will see in your Bible, that's a translation of Adonai. So what we have here in Psalm 110 is we have King David prophesying, speaking a word from Yahweh the Lord about the Lord Adonai. So verse 1 teaches us, that the coming Davidic king is David's Lord Adonai. This is a messianic psalm, a prophetic 
psalm. This psalm reminds us of the covenant that the Lord Yahweh made with King David in 2 Samuel 7. So in 2 Samuel 7, the prophet Nathan comes to David and he speaks God's word to David where he says, Thus says Yahweh the Lord, I took from you from the pasture, from the following of the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. Remember, this is David Nathan speaking to David. And he says, I have been with you wherever you went, and I have cut off all of your enemies before you. I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will give you rest from all of your enemies. Moreover, Yahweh the Lord declares to you that Yahweh the Lord will make you a house. And when your days are fulfilled, David... And you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom forever. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne, David, shall be established forever. God's covenant promise to King David is of an everlasting kingdom where the Davidic throne is established forever and where a son of David will rule as a son of God. So here in Psalm 110, verse 1, this King David, this covenant king himself is prophesying about that future king, the Lord Adonai. And David is teaching us that this king is in a position of authority and honor as he sits at the right hand of God Almighty. This king is a heavenly king, unlike all other kings. And ultimately, what David is teaching us here in verse 1 is that this king, he is the Lord. He is true God of true God. So Psalm 110, it happens to be the most quoted psalm in all of the New Testament. Because the apostles and the scribes, they draw a direct line between David's Lord Adonai in Psalm 110 verse 1, right straight to the Lord Jesus Christ. Dave read for us a a larger section of Acts 2 this morning, Peter's Pentecost sermon. But I want to draw our attention to Acts 2 verses 29 through 36. In the middle of Peter's Pentecost sermon, where he's preaching to the gathered crowd, He is making the case that Jesus Christ is greater than the Israelite patriarchs. That Jesus Christ is, in fact, the king. So in Acts 2, verses 29 through 36, Peter preaches and he says, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, that his tomb is with us to this very day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn an oath, a covenant to him, that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, David foresaw and he spoke about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That Jesus was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. Another reference to a psalm that this Jesus God raised up. And of that, Peter says, they were all witnesses Peter goes on, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Spirit, he has poured out this, that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend to the heavens, but David himself says, 
The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. This is Peter's Pentecost sermon. And so who is it that is David's Lord in verse one, who is seated at the right hand of God? It is David's Lord, Adonai. It is Peter's Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so therefore, Peter preached, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So friend, perhaps you're here this morning and you're not a Christian. You don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord. Friend, you would do well to consider this very moment, whether David's Lord, whether Peter's Lord, whether the Lord of this church is your Lord, whether you have acknowledged in your heart and confessed with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. Friend, have you done that? Will you do that even now? Psalm 110 verse 1 teaches us that the Lord Jesus is seated at the right hand of God the Father. And this psalm teaches us that the Lord Jesus will carry out the mission of God to advance the kingdom of God until he has subdued all the enemies of God. Jesus Christ will carry out the mission of God to advance the kingdom of God until he has subdued all the enemies of God. We learn in verse 1 that the kingdom of God will come and it will come through judgment. It will come through judgment. There is coming a day when all people will acknowledge Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But friend, some will acknowledge it gladly and have already acknowledged it gladly, willingly, with joy. While others do so and will do so grudgingly after their defeat and their judgment on that day. All people will submit to the Lord Jesus Christ either freely in holy garments or shattered on the day of his wrath. And so when we approach the rest of Psalm 110, We see the dichotomy of how this king, the Lord, rules God's people and conquers God's enemies. He rules God's people and he conquers God's enemies. The Lord will either subdue God's enemies by making them his people or he will conquer God's enemies, exercising judgment on the day of God's wrath. So as we think about these verses in light of the Lord Jesus, I think it's helpful to think of verses two through four in light of his first appearing when Jesus came not to condemn the world, but to save the world, to make a holy sacrifice of himself upon the cross. And we can think of verses five and six in light of his second appearing, his second coming, when he will finally judge all men. Conquering God's enemies finally and forever. In his first coming, verses 2 through 4, the Lord Jesus performs his priestly duties after the order of Melchizedek. And in his second coming, verses 5 and 6, the Lord Jesus will execute the final judgment among the nations. And so with this framework in mind, let us turn our attention now to Psalm 110, verses 2 through 4. Hear God's word, 
The Lord, Yahweh, sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. The Lord Adonai's mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power. In holy garments, from the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. After the order of Melchizedek. In these three verses, David teaches us five ways that the Lord will rule God's people. So if you're taking notes, just follow along with me. In these three verses, five ways that the Lord will rule God's people. Verse 2 teaches that the king will not only rule the people of Zion, he will not only rule the people of Zion, but from Zion, the Lord will send forth the king's mighty scepter. From Zion, the Lord will send forth the king's mighty scepter. The Jews thought that the Messiah would come to establish the kingdom of Israel on earth. But here in verse 2, King David teaches that the messianic kingdom may originate in Jerusalem. But from that place, all the nations of the earth will be blessed by the rule of the king. From Zion itself, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. In verse 2, we see here the mustard seed that grows into the great commission. Zion was the seedbed of the kingdom of Christ on earth and by the power of his Holy Spirit, that kingdom's advance is through all the earth, even now, even to this day. God is making true his promise here in verse 2 to send forth the mighty scepter, the mighty reign and rule of Jesus Christ from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, even here to Houston, Texas. And so church, church, we need to remember that God's reign and rule is not isolated to one spot on the earth. God's reign and rule is meant to cover the earth, to be present in every tribe and tongue and nation of the world. The Lord's reign is from Zion to the end of the earth. David also teaches us again from verse 2 that the advance of the kingdom is not without opposition. The advance of the kingdom is not without opposition. God sends forth from Zion the king's mighty scepter, yet notice in verse 2 the declaration that the king will rule In the midst of his enemies, he will rule in the midst of his enemies. God's kingdom will advance. The king will rule God's people, but the kingdom's advance is not without opposition. Can't we testify to the many ways as we go about the advance of the kingdom of God in this place? Can't we testify to the opposition of the world and the flesh and the devil? The people of God Those who live under the reign of God have faced opposition from the beginning. From the slander of God in the garden to the first family feud that ended in death to the foolishness of the Tower of Babel, whether the Egyptian enslavement or the Babylonian captivity, whether Sadducees or Pharisees or the Roman Empire or any other manifestation of evil in the world, hiding behind all the enemies of God is the greatest enemies of God's people, Satan, sin, and death. The kingdom of darkness utterly opposed to God's kingdom of light. He will rule in the midst of his enemies. But beloved, notice the psalm says, He will rule. 
in the midst of his enemies. He will rule. He will not be overcome. He will rule. And if he will rule in the midst of his enemies, the king will protect and defend his people. Christian, beloved, in this world you will face many trials. You are at war with an opposing kingdom. Christian, as you seek first the kingdom of God, rest assured, opposition will come. The world is opposed to God and will be opposed to all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. Even our own sinful flesh will draw us back like a dog to its vomit. And the devil, that salacious serpent, he will use it all to whisper wicked words of doubt and despair and discouragement. All but brothers and sisters in Christ, be not afraid, for King Jesus will rule. He will rule in the midst of his enemies. Be not discouraged. King Jesus has overcome the world. Do not despair, for King Jesus has crucified your flesh. Do not doubt, but know for certain that the victory has been won, for King Jesus has crushed the head of that devil serpent. And so we are reminded, brothers and sisters, and let me remind you to go back to the saints of old. We're reminded in that shorter catechism that says it well. Christ executes the office of a king in subduing us unto himself in ruling and defending us, in restraining and conquering all of his enemies and our enemies too. And so brothers and sisters, praise God that King Jesus rules in the midst of his enemies and he will rule in the midst of your enemies too. And because he does rule over God's people so well, David teaches us that God's people give themselves freely in service to their king. Verse 3, David speaks of the people of God without hesitation, without doubt, giving all that they are in service to their king. Verse 4 uses the phrase holy garments that signify that God's people are set apart. They are given uniquely to the king. They are made holy by his power. Freely set apart and made holy by the Lord Jesus. Christian, this should be your heart's desire to serve King Jesus with no reservation, no, uh, no doubt of, of what it is that you're seeking to honor him and to pursue holiness in your life. Jesus has graciously subdued you, a once and former enemy. He has saved you from any harm. And he will powerfully defend you against your enemies of the world and the flesh and the devil. And Jesus Christ will restrain evil and he will save you even from your greatest enemy, the power of death. And so with grateful hearts, beloved, we are to give ourselves to Jesus Christ. We are to do his will, to walk in his way, to obey his commands, because we love and have no other king but King Jesus. But God's people love him 
Not only because he is our king, but as David teaches us in verse four, the king is also our priest. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The history of Israel is scattered with kings who were rebuked and punished by God for faithlessness and disobedience of all kinds. In one instance, in 1 Samuel 13, the first king of Israel, King Saul, became the fool. 1 Samuel 13, we read of King Saul taking upon himself the role, not just of king, but of priest before God. The prophet Samuel came to Saul and said, Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God with which he commanded you, for then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now, Saul, your kingdom shall not continue. In that same chapter, Samuel goes on to say, the Lord has sought a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people because you, Saul, have not done what the Lord commanded you. And so then we're reminded back on 2 Samuel 7 that that man after God's own heart that God had set his affection on, that God had made covenant with, was none other than King David, the author of our psalm. But King David tells us, here in Psalm 10, verse 4, he tells us that it's not just King David who is the better king, but he tells us of that better king who's altogether different than Saul, altogether different from even David. He tells us of the only king who can be both a king and a priest for God's people. Where King Saul could not be a priest for God's people, King Jesus is the high priest of our confession. Where King David functioned as a priest only temporarily, King Jesus is a priest forever. Where the Israelite priesthood was established through Levitical order, King Jesus is a priest king like that of Melchizedek, the priest king of Salem. And where the Levitical priesthood could not save anyone from their sins, where it is impossible for the blood of goats and calves to take away sin, King Jesus appeared as a high priest once and for all to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself on a cross. And by that sacrifice, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. How do you have the holy garments of the Lord Jesus Christ, but other than his own perfect sacrifice on a cross? How do you keep the holy garments of the Lord Jesus Christ, but that he himself has perfected you for all time and is sanctifying you until that day? Christian, the Lord Jesus is your priest king. He has made you his child by offering up himself on the cross to satisfy the wrath of God toward you and your sin. He has reconciled you to God and he makes continual intercession for us even now, the Lord Jesus praying for us at the right hand of God. So beloved, rest in the mercy of Jesus Christ. Run to Jesus Christ in your heart. Confess your sin to him. Let go of your good works. Stop justifying yourself. They are but filthy rags before God. Receive forgiveness from Jesus and rejoice in his love for you. Trust him because he is your priest king. Therefore, brothers and sisters, 
As Hebrews tells us, we have confidence to offer ourselves freely to the Lord. We draw near to him with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed pure. That's in Hebrews. It's also in Psalm 110. Beloved, hold fast the confession of your hope without wavering. For your priest king who promised is faithful and he will rule over you in grace and in love and in truth. Verses two through four teach us how the king rules God's people. But we also learned in those verses that God's kingdom is not without its enemies. So now let us turn and consider what Psalm 110 teaches us about the king who conquers God's enemies. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. In verse 4, David, verse 4, David is quoting the Lord Yahweh as he speaks a promise to the Lord Adonai. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And then immediately in verse 5, it appears that David is confessing back to Yahweh. He's confessing back and he's tying verse 5 to verse 1. The Lord Adonai, it's like David hears this, this word from Yahweh and he simply says back to Yahweh, the Lord is at your right hand. He is at your right hand. The Lord Adonai sits at your right hand. He agrees with God that the Lord Jesus, the Lord Adonai sits at the right hand of God and God will make the Lord's enemies his footstool. And so the same priest king who rules God's people is a warrior king who will conquer God's enemies. He is a priest king over God's people. He is a warrior king conquering God's enemies. The rest of verses 5 and 6 unpack for us what this means with startling and terrifying detail. Second half of verse 5, the Lord will shatter the kings of, on the day of his wrath. First half of verse 6, he will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. Psalm 110 teaches us that God will execute judgment against his enemies on the day of his wrath. And the question is not if the wicked will be punished, if God will execute this judgment. It is simply a question of when. These verses point to God's judgment now, but raise our eyes to that great day of judgment to come. That final day, which will come when the world as we know it will unravel and human beings will shrink in fear from the one seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Revelation 6.16 the judgments of God disclose the holiness of God. His judgments are true and just. They are not arbitrary or capricious. God's enemies receive justice. They receive the punishment that is due to all who would sin against a holy God. And we learn from the second half of 
verse 5, he will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. In the second half of verse 6, he will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. We learn from those portions of this text that no one will stand in the day of God's wrath. Not even kings and chiefs of the world, those who are seated in positions of prominence and power will be held to account by Jesus Christ. They, along with all of God's enemies, will not stand on the day of God's wrath. These verses teach us that all of God's enemies throughout time and location over the whole earth will fall under the judgment of God. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we should take comfort in these terrifying verses. We should take comfort in these terrifying verses because we are assured that sin and evil will not have the last word. Every act of unrepentant evil in this world is storing up an eternal weight of wrath from the Lord Almighty. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. He will repay. And at the same time, brothers and sisters, Let verses 5 and 6 not only comfort us in the midst of our enemies, but let it drive us to compassion for our enemies. Beloved, you were at once an enemy of God. Brothers and sisters, you were once a child of wrath. But God loved you. He put holy garments on you. He had mercy upon you. Through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, our high priest, made atonement for you, beloved. And Jesus, our great king, has given us a great commission to be ministers of reconciliation, to plead with God's enemies, to put down their arms against God, and to be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. Jesus did not come into the world the first time to condemn the world, but to save it. And he has given us that same commission as Christians to be ambassadors for our priest king. We should tell men and women of the coming judgment of God and we should tell them about a savior who has made atonement for sin. He has saved us from the wrath of God and he will save anyone who will repent of their sins and believe in him. This is the church's mission to see all the fullness of God's elect come to faith in Jesus Christ. Who will judge the living and the dead on that day? And so my unbelieving friend, my hope and my plea for you today is that you would put down your arms against God, that you would turn from your sin and your rebellion, whatever it is that might keep you from God, from the Lord Jesus, set it aside. You need to know today, friend, that judgment is coming against all of God's enemies. And friends, you need to know that you are an enemy of God in your sin. We have all sinned against God, but the good news is that God has made a way. And some of us are on that way, standing at the gate, yelling for you to come. Come to Jesus Christ. Come walk on the narrow way in the midst of enemy and pain so that we could gather in that celestial city together. Friend, come to Jesus Christ. 
Turn away from your sins. God raised him from the dead and proved to us that he has defeated our greatest enemies of Satan and sin and death. And Jesus will be your high priest. He will save you from your sins if only you would come to him in faith. And so friend, today is the day of salvation. Confess with David. Confess with Peter. Confess with this church that Jesus Christ is Lord. I encourage you to talk to me or someone else you've come with after the service to talk more about what it means to be a Christian so that you can go from being an enemy of God to a friend and a child of God, even today. Well, finally, as as this royal psalm comes to an end in verse 7, we see a word picture that I think is meant to encourage us, beloved. It's meant to remind us That the victory is sure. That the war is won. He, the Lord Adonai, will drink from the brook by the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. This verse gives us a sense of a warrior king after battle. Stooping down to take a drink of water. And lifting up his head. Surveying the battlefield. And seeing that all is accomplished. Seeing that the war is over. Seeing that the battle has been won and that judgment has been rendered. After the Lord shatters the kings and chiefs of the earth and he executes judgment among the nations, the Lord, beloved, he will gather with his people in that heavenly Zion, in that new Jerusalem, where the walls of that city will be 12 by 12 high and impenetrable. There will never be one ounce of evil in that place. And flowing through the heavenly Zion is the stream of the water of life. And brothers and sisters, we will all drink of that brook one day. In that new Jerusalem, death will be no more. There will be no more crying or mourning or pain. For the old order of things will have passed away. All of God's enemies will be vanquished. All of God's people will be secure with their king and with their priest and with their Lord forever. And so we say amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Our great God in heaven, we pray that we would make the true confession this day and every day that Jesus Christ is Lord. We pray that you would continue to sanctify us, even though you've already clothed us in holy garments. We pray that you would rule over us, this church especially, so that we would walk in your way and obey your commands. God, we pray that you would subdue any enemies in this room and make them a child of God. Right now, send forth your scepter from your heavenly Zion that the Spirit would make alive dead hearts, that they would give themselves freely to you. And we pray, God, that you would hold us fast.
until that day when we are with you in that heavenly Zion, the new Jerusalem. And we pray for Jesus' sake. Amen.